This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck program. Thank you so much for joining. 888-727-BECK on those phone lines. We've got our friend John Schindler joining us now as our guest. He is the national security columnist for the New York Observer. You can read his latest at Observer.com. Also, you can follow him on Twitter at 20Committee. Mr. Schindler, good to have you, sir. It is a pleasure as always, Buck. All right, so let's talk about it. This cabinet is coming together. Some very, certainly very interesting and and dynamic picks. Uh, Jim Mattis, General Mattis, he is possibly the next Secretary of Defense. Uh, You are formerly of the NSA. I'm formerly of the CIA. And we have Mike Flynn, perhaps, as the next NSA. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But let's talk about Mattis first. What do you think about this pick, assuming it goes through? Uh, assuming it goes through, and Mr. Trump, our president-elect, has indicated that he's General Mattis definitely on a short list for the Secretary of Defense. If that goes through, this is the best news we could possibly get from a national security perspective. Mattis is a you known as Mad Dog, uh, is a is a revered figure in national security circles. He's arguably the best general of his generation, a career Marine. Um, I, I know Mattis slightly personally, and I, I think the world of him. I think he is a rare mix of. Uh, of a real warrior uh, and a real scholar at the same time. He's never married. He's a little bit of jokes about him being a monk. Not literally a monk, but he's devoted himself to his military profession his whole life, and he's a deep thinker. He's a genuinely deep thinker. And DOD, our Pentagon, is a bureaucratic mess. It needs to be shaken hard and fixed, particularly on the budgeting side and strategy side. And if Jim Mattis can't do it, no, no human being can he also is attributed with a quote so cool that I think anybody wishes that they had come up with it. Be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Right. That, that, and, that and leaves, yeah. That's vintage Mattis. I mean, Mattis is, uh, is, is, is the real thing. We have a lot of general officers in our military who are, you know, sort of pose as tough as nails, uh, but able to think big thoughts at the same time. And Mattis actually is that. I can, I can vouch for that personally. And he has a fabulous reputation uh, as our boss of Central Command, uh, our Middle Eastern Command. He legendarily commanded the 1st Marine Division in his drive into Iraq in 2003. Um, and also, he was fired quite unceremoniously by the Obama administration uh, a couple of years back as the Central Command boss over the issue of Iran. And here's a really revealing thing about Jim Mattis. Jim Mattis has never really spoken about this. 
He's a class act. He doesn't, unlike Mike Flynn, who makes up stories about why he was fired, Mattis was fired over principle. Mattis strenuously objected to the deal with Iran and felt that empowering the mullahs in Tehran was a huge strategic mistake. And he got fired for that. He was fired very unceremoniously, rudely by the White House, and he's never out of the White House for that. Him coming back to set some of this right would be a great thing for, for us and for our allies. And now, uh, John, you're a veteran from, from friends of yours who are either still inside in the armed services or, or who have served. I, I've never heard from people I know in the intel community on my side of things anything but good things about Mattis. The support from inside yeah. the military, from the rank and file all the way up to the top, my understanding is pretty strong. I, to, to I, pretty honestly, strong to very I, I strong. But. I, I, I can't believe I can say this. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone criticize Mattis in a serious way on a, on a really substantive issue. No, no general officer makes all correct decisions, but he's a genuinely, you know, widely universally admired guy who knows how to make the trains run on time. And as I said, the Pentagon needs someone who can break some China at this point. The budgeting process, the acquisition process, as evidenced by disasters like the F-35, the Joint Strike Fighter, is really serious broken. And we need someone who understands this to go in, grab it with both hands, and affect some real change. All right. Now, before we get on to uh, the issue of Flynn, uh, of Mike Flynn as possible national security advisor, uh, let's just, uh, Romney, meeting with Trump over the weekend, people are saying secretary of state, seems like a political move, but on the merits, what do you think about a Romney sex state? I think he'd be great. I mean, I, I was never a big fan of Mitt Romney as a presidential candidate, but he has a lot of the skill set you need to be Secretary of State, someone who understands how the world actually works. As we know, to the embarrassment of President Obama, Mitt Romney's instincts on Russia back in 2012 were exactly right, and the president was wrong. Um, I think a Romney appointment would be greeted in D.C. among professional bureaucrats as a really good thing, because he's a balanced guy, he's a smart guy, and he's not particularly ideological, and he will focus on getting American diplomacy back into Earth orbit and focused on a reality. No more James Taylor concerts, no more John Kerry, no more Hillary pay for play. We know Romney, whatever his, his neg- negatives are, he's not corrupt, and he understands how the world actually works. I think he'd be a great Secretary of State. Yeah, very honest guy, very capable guy. And also, I-, I feel like with the Democrats, what, among their main criticisms of, of him from the election, including that he would give people cancer, but we'll put that aside because that was just unfair and insane. Uh, but that he was sort of a, a vulture capitalist. Maybe it'd be a good thing for America to have a guy who understands how to use leverage and uh, squeeze as much as possible oh, from his side out of the deal talk. on the world Stop stage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he would bring some pretty interesting things to the table with that regard. He'd do it with a smile and a firm handshake. But right. if you want somebody That's negotiating right. for your side in an international trade deal, I think Mitt Romney would do a darn good job. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, any of his negatives as a presidential candidate remotely apply, you know, including that he causes cancer, right? Uh, remotely have anything to do with how he'd be as a secretary of state, and I would welcome his appointment, as would a lot of people in D.C. and not just in the Republican Party. Speaking to John Schindler, he's a national security columnist for the New York Observer. Observer.com is where you'll find his pieces. I highly recommend you check him out. He's former NSA. Uh, John now let's talk about so, former NSA John Schindler. Let's talk about the possible NSA Mike Flynn. Uh, you yeah. do not hold back on this one. I want you to tell me and everybody else listening, make the case, please. Why is General Flynn, in your estimation, not the guy for this job? Well, uh, let's leave aside his strange ties to Russia, the very pro-Kremlin things he says, that he's taken money from Russia today, which is the state propaganda network. Let's, let's leave that aside. The problem is Mike Flynn is a smart guy 
who is uh, doesn't play well with others. He, he rose to be a three-star general in the Army and was fired as director of the Defense Intelligence Agency by Obama. And as a strong critic of Obama and foreign policy, let me say that Obama was absolutely right to fire Mike Flynn as the director of DIA. Uh, Mike Flynn wanted to reform DIA, which is all well and good. It's a really stodgy intelligence community bureaucracy. But he did it in a way that was, frankly, you know, abusive of the workforce, and he was quickly hated by the workforce. And you don't change an organization by making everyone hate you. Uh, as the Democrats just found out, uh, you know, uh, in, in the election, the white working class is not going to vote for you if you hate them. By the same token, the DIA workforce is not going to help you reform if you make clear they're all fools and idiots and lazy. Uh, Mike Flynn turfed out, and my fear is he will bring that same management style, which is aggressive, uh, where it doesn't need to be, into the National Security Council. What, now, what, now, let me let me ask you to, to be fair to be yeah. fair to the other side of this, which I don't pretend to be on, but I, I'm I'm assuming yeah. that if we had a a Trump spokesperson or somebody attached to the transition team here, they'd say, well, uh, or, or they could say, and I, I wanted to pose this to you, John, but he's going to be in an advisory role to the president. So it's really more about his knowledge, background and understanding of issues like dealing with jihadism, radical Islamic right. uh, terrorism and not all the things you talked about may well be true. And I've heard similar things. And my understanding is that it, it, bureaucratically there was an ineptitude on display at the top of DIA in terms of how he handled oh, yeah. that. Matt, which is also a very difficult job to manage these enormous intel bureaucracies. Oh, yeah. um, but that wouldn't be his role. His role would be to be there close to Donald Trump and advising him as national security advisor. What about on that side of things when it comes to his judgment, um, knowledge and understanding of the threats we face? I think the, I think the problem you have there is Trump uh, is a very impulsive, uh, high strung individual. You want a national security advisor who can moderate that. And Flynn is exactly the same kind of shoot from the hip, say hard things without thinking about them. And when you're in that job, that's going to have real consequences. And you want someone there who can think big picture about strategy. And Mike Flynn is right about some of the things he says about jihadism, but he also thinks it's the biggest threat we face. And I don't. I think it's top three. But the reality is, you know, Russia and China both have, both have several thousand nuclear weapons that can wipe us off the face of the planet. The jihadists, thank God, don't. Uh, and that means there are huge threats to our national security. I disagree with Mike Flynn that that is the preeminent threat we face. We face a lot of threats, and jihad to, jihadist terrorism is one of them. He also has a way of alienating the entire Muslim world, which, given that we're t utterly dependent on Muslim allies to fight jihadism, that's not really a good thing. What do you make of this report, by the way, uh, switching gears to the Obama administration for a second? Uh, we're talk Everyone's talking so much about the Trump transition that I feel like it gets lost yeah. sometimes that there's still a White House that's making decisions. They're trying to bolster the Iran deal as we speak. So they're saying not to make it harder to uh, unravel for Trump. But it seems like to hit the accelerator at the very end oh, here on that uh, yeah, has some, has some I mean, consequences. They want um, to make this irreversible down to the last minute they're in the White House. And, you know, because this is their signature thing, right? I mean, this is, this is Obama's claim to fame. He got this great deal with Iran, which, as we know, is not really a great deal. And Trump wants to tear it down. I mean, I think actually tearing it down is going to be harder than Trump and his people realize. But the Iranians are going to have a much harder, harder team in, the, in, in Washington now than they've had, where Obama and company have accommodated everything they wanted and let them get away with crazy stuff. Back to Jim Mattis. Jim Mattis raised holy hell with the White House several years ago when the Iranian intelligence service tried to blow up the Saudi ambassador to the United States in a re public restaurant in downtown Washington, D.C. 
This was an unambiguous act of war, and Mattis wanted us to seriously diplomatically retaliate. You know what the White House did? Hardly anything, and they told Mattis to calm down. Mattis was right, and this kind of appeasement of the mullahs in Tehran has gotten us worse and worse Iranian behavior. And if that stops, I'll be very pleased. There's also this report that uh, James, uh, that Clapper and Carter have told yeah. Obama to fire the head of, of your former uh, home base, the NSA. Yeah. What do you think about that? What's that all coming from? Uh, it pains me to say I think that would be a wise move, and it is, in fact, overdue. Admiral Mike Rogers, a Navy four-star admiral, um, you know, came to NSA with a great reputation. Unfortunately, he's sullied that reputation through some pretty bad mistakes. Um, he's run through an organ- a reorganization in a way that really upset the workforce with cause. He's been distant. He hasn't, he hasn't communicated well with the workforce. He's upset some of our close intelligence allies around the world. And most importantly, we've had more security disasters. He was brought in to clean up the epic mess left behind by the Snowden theft and defection to Russia. And now we've had another case, another the Martin case, very similar to in the sense that the NSA affiliate, a contractor who stole huge amounts of classified data and brought it home with him. Um, this has happened again. NSA security and counterintelligence have not been reformed, as I and others have urged for years, as Congress was told was happening. It has not happened. And Mike Rogers is the captain of the ship here, and he has to go down. Unfortunately, I think relieving him of duty is the only choice the Pentagon and the intelligence community has. Right before we let you go, John, how would you, if you had to give a grade to uh, Trump's national security picks and considerations, because I know, you know there's a lot that's all up in the air. Where would you, what would you grade it right now? Well, if we're going with Mattis, I'd say it's an A+. Uh, you know, Flynn, Flynn brings that down a fair amount, but I, I'm, honestly, I'm encouraged so far. We don't know a lot so far. It's mostly rumor, but I think we're going to have, it's, it's going to break out two ways. A lot of the cabinet appointees and senior appointees in the departments like state, defense, other, you know, homeland security are going to be really solid people who know what they're doing and are not particularly ideological. They're not, they're not, they're not Trumpers. They're Republicans, but they, they're not part of the, they were not part of the Trump movement. The folks inside the White House are going to clearly be Trump loyalists who are perhaps their loyalty matters more to the president-elect than their knowledge of, say, national security affairs. That means you're going to, from day one, have some tension between professionals, you know, career generals, diplomats, whatever, successful business people who are running cabinet departments and the folks in the White House who maybe don't really understand how all, how all that uh, wonderful stew gets made over there across the river in northern Virginia. So I, I, I think there could be some tension right out of the starting gate. All right. John Schindler is the author of Fall of the Double Eagle. He's also the columnist at the New York Observer for National Security. Go to Observer.com. John, great to have you, sir. Talk to you soon. Great to be here. 888-727-BECK. Buck in for Glenn. We'll be right back. We have the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. 
Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Program. Buck Sexton here in Fort Glenn today. Thank you very much for joining, being here with me. And uh, 888-727-BECK, B-E-C-K, if you want to call in. We've got Bruce in Wyoming. What's up, Bruce? You're on the Glenn Beck Program. You are speaking to Buck. Hi, Buck. How are you today? Good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I've been listening pretty avidly to your uh, to your program. I think it's I think it's pretty good. But I think that uh, a lot okay. of folks Thanks. these days are really missing uh, a huge component of this whole post election process. We have uh, we have people rioting in the streets, and we have the media uh, discounting every other matter of conservative active participation by anybody in the world because it's propaganda. That's all this is. It is spew. We see pollsters uh, saying, oh, Hillary's going to win by 320 electoral votes. These people are believing their own propaganda. If they weren't, then how did Mr. Trump become the president-elect of the United States? It's the simple fact that if you tell a lie long enough, that somebody is going to believe it. And these people well, have been I, you doing know, I this think, for a very long time. Bruce, I do think there's there's an important distinction to be made here, and that's between the propaganda that the media sometimes puts out that they know to be either untrue that they know to be untrue or exaggerated, but it's for effect, right? So they'll say uh, that so and so is a racist. What evidence do you have for that? Oh, you know, whatever. You know, Jeff Sessions uh, has gotten a lot of heat as he's going to be the attorney general. Oh, Jeff Sessions is a racist. What has he done that makes him a racist? Oh, well, you know what? I said so. Well, certainly. Uh, you know, we're, we're wait, 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 hold, wait, wait, Bruce. Well, hold, 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 one sec. But then on the other side, you mentioned Hillary and the electoral votes. I think that that's where they actually believed it. I think they did think that Hillary was going to win. I think they were. I mean, if you saw the faces on some of the news networks and if you spoke to people and saw what they're writing in some of the news and, and, and most, a vast majority of the newsrooms across the country, that wasn't just the propaganda they were feeding others for effect. They did believe that. And there's a distinction between it. I think that's why they feel so uh, they feel so much like they got a Chuck Norris roundhouse kick to the face that night because they well, really didn't think that was going to happen. is so effective at disseminating this kind of information, and we have become conditioned to it. Look in 2008. There's actually news agencies that wanted to have a home base in the White House. You know, this, this whole process has been nothing but Psych 101 from the very inception of the Barack Obama, uh, his cabal. From the very inception, these people have got the ball. We're going to run it. We're going to spin this the way we want to. But we have to also remember that all of the things that we're listening to from ABC, all about you know communists or NBC, nothing but communists, is simply spin, spew, and propaganda. They are the minority, or we wouldn't have Donald Trump as the president-elect. All right. Thanks for calling in, Bruce. Uh, I mean, certainly elite journalists are, are a minority. Um, Riven? Is that am I am Riven in Oklahoma? Am I pronouncing that correctly? 
Yes, yes. My name is right. Dad were tree hugging hippies, you know. Try not to judge. Cool name. My name is Buck. I judge nothing. What's up? Okay. Listen, I was listening earlier and I'm a first time caller and I want you to be patient with me here as I'm trying to articulate this. We only have way. one minute, unfortunately, but go ahead. Sure, I can knock it out in, the, in a minute. I was listening to you earlier talk about how the left and the right were reacting in regard to the protests that are out there. Now, I'm a professional photojournalist, and yesterday I attended a rally in Oklahoma City, and I saw both sides of what was taking place and forming in our country. Now, I agree with you earlier, and I think this should be pointed out more often, that protests are actually, regardless whether it's the right, left, or in the middle, or anywhere else, Protests are a way. It is the message. It is a. It is a, a method of talking to our legislators, to talking to our leadership in whatever city or state or country that you're in. And I think it's a part of the democratic process. And I don't think that it should be put down quite as easily, whether it's from the left or the right or anywhere else. This is how the democratic process works after the fact. All right, Ribbon. Thank you very much. Buck in for Glenn. Be right back. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Sexton here in for Glenn today on the Glenbeck program. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate your time. Very much an honor to be sitting in for Glenn. And I want to talk a bit about national security philosophy. Uh, I was a CIA analyst for a while. That was my uh, my career before I somehow got into media. A story for another time. Uh, and studied international relations and political science and a lot of the uh, history and politics of the Islamic world. Even took uh, a little bit of Arabic, although I was never very good, never learned very much. Uh, so here I sit looking at, again, the way that the table is being laid for the Trump administration on national security matters. The framing of national security issues, uh, according to the media, as we get ready for a, a Trump presidency, I thought it was very interesting to read a, uh, a piece. I, I didn't, oh wait, <laughs> I didn't finish before with the, uh, what was it again? The how to survive uh, the autocracy. So I just wanted to give you what the, uh, it was rule number one was believe the autocrat. And rule number two, do not be taken in by small signs of normality. Rule number three, institutions will not save you. Rule number four, be outraged. And rule number five, don't make compromises. Uh, so that's the way they want you to be thinking about Trump. And especially, I think, on, on national security issues, all of that applies. They want you to be outraged uh, when he does things like make, uh, or at least talk about making General Mattis Secretary of Defense. Don't take that as a sign of, uh, well, just as a sign of intelligent decision-making or a wise choice. Take it as some plot to throw you off the trail. You know, it's, it, they never... They never will give any credit here on anything. And, of course, be outraged. How much more outraged can the left already be? There are protests across the country. There are people who are kicking in stores. Uh, they're, they're breaking glass windows in places like Oregon that probably voted 70, 80 percent, I'm guessing, but I don't know, for Hillary. Huge, but definitely a big majority voted for Hillary in, in, in Oregon. 
or in Portland, I meant to say, not in all of Oregon. I know there's parts of Oregon that are very red, and then there's Portland, which is communist. Although some nice pastries and things, I've been there, I enjoyed it. So the rules for how to deal with the Trump administration, which is supposed to be autocratic, uh, you can apply them also to the way you should view if you're going to be a good leftist, because they're establishing right now how how you're supposed to think about these things, right? If you, if you want to be a smart person, a smart leftist, a smart Democrat, you've got to avoid normalization of any of the Trump stuff. And on national security issues, just understand that not only is he a novice, but everything he does is wrong. Everything he does is bad. You know who also was a national security novice, by the way? Didn't know anything about the military, never served, didn't know anything at all about any stuff? Barack Obama. But he was going to fix the world and uh, because of stopping the rise of the seas and there were some Greek columns or something. I don't, I don't know who at this point, whatever. So we go to the Trump philosophy for national security. And I have to say, as you look at this, uh, you look at a piece in Politico on this. Interesting. As much for what it says about the Democrat and Obama view of America and the world as it does for how they think a Trump presidency will play out on national security issues. The, the piece is Team Trump's message the clash of civilizations is back. That's the headline. Now, again, headlines are meant to suck you in. And I'm looking at this saying, all right, I'm going to read this one. A reference to Huntington's essay in Foreign Affairs, The Clash of Civilizations, which was then expanded into a book, which I, by the way, highly recommend to all of you, both the essay in Foreign Affairs and the expanded version of it into a full book form. Uh, and a reference to Bernard Lewis using the term, I believe, in the early 90s, Bernard Lewis, the esteemed historian of the Middle East at Princeton University, um, who looks at things not from the uh, multiculturalist and moral relativist perspective and therefore runs into some problems. We'll, we'll talk about the Islamic world as it was based on the history instead of just, oh, it was this uh, example of tolerance for all ages. And there was some tolerance. There was a lot of, you know, the sword or Islam that happened too, but Perhaps a discussion for another day. But Team Trump's message, the class of civilizations is back. I look at that headline and I think to myself, did it ever go away? Did they think that it stopped? And Huntington's essay, if you read it, or if you read the book, I've read both. You see, there's really not, I mean, you, you can add to it. You can take certain parts of it to agree or disagree. But the notion that there are these things, these sort of, uh, ideas that have real impact on all of our lives called civilizations and that they will intersect and collide and be in conflict, that doesn't seem to be a particularly out-of-the-box point of view. That seems like a straightforward reading of what's happening around us all the time. So the class of civilizations being back, to me, it automatically makes you think, well, where did it go? Of course it's here. Now, they want to turn this into uh, Trump and Islamophobia, and I'll get to that in the piece in a second. The subheading, though, is also very interesting. So we have the notion of the clash of civilizations as though it went away. Now they're saying it's back because of Trump. Okay, well, I, again, as I said, under Obama, it did not disappear at all. We saw the rise of ISIS. We saw Russian interventionism. We saw expansion expansionism uh, in terms of support for terror and insurgency groups from Iran. A lot of bad stuff happening. So it's not like everything was cool because 
the Obama administration took this very multilateralist and America in retreat worldview. But the subheadline, you really get into some of the some of the meat of this. From Bannon's defense of the Judeo-Christian West, referring to Steve Bannon, to Flynn's attacks on Muslims, some, I always love that word when they use it, because how many? Some NATSEC experts, the cool kids write NATSEC, national security, or they'll say sex state for secretary of state. I did that before, guilty as charged. Fear the incoming Trump administration is at war with Islam and that it won't end well. I have yet to see anything in the Trump administration to be, it isn't even here yet, uh, that suggests that Donald Trump thinks we're at war with an entire religion, that we're actually going to actively go to war with that religion. Um, but when you look at the way they frame this issue, again, when, they, when you look at how the media is trying to create expectations for the Trump administration and also build into that, that they will fail those expectations, um, you see that they're also saying a lot about what's happened before. Um, the door has been kicked wide open for a Trump administration to speak more openly and honestly about the threat specifically from jihadism, radical Islam, whatever your preferred nomenclature is for this phenomenon that affects us all the time and all of us, wherever we are. Do you, I mean, look, how many of you know somebody who's had to ser- who has served, how many of you have served in Iraq or Afghanistan or anywhere else as part of the war, what used to be called the war on terror, the global war on terror, the GWAT, as we called it in CIA, CTC, when I was there, Counterterrorism Center. Um, many of you served yourselves, have family, friends who served. Uh, you also are a citizen. You pay taxes to support that military that is out there trying to fight this global war on terror. But even in other ways, you are connected to all of this. I just flew down here to Dallas yesterday, had to get on a plane, had to go through security. Why do we have airport security? What's the primary threat to air, to air, air, uh, to aviation and to planes in the sky, uh, civilian airliners? A jihadist blowing one up. Have other people done it? Sure, right? We could even talk about how in the Medellin cartel was Pablo Escobar blew a plane out of the sky before people even knew who Osama bin Laden was. But the primary threat, the one that worries us the most, is that someone is going to either put a bomb on one of those planes or perhaps even smuggle a bomb on himself, yell Allahu Akbar, and take the whole thing out of the sky, killing everyone on board. So I have to get in line, and I have to get there early, and it takes time for me, and we have the TSA, we have all this. So it affects all of us. This isn't some far-off war that we can put in some uh, intellectual box and think about, but doesn't have any impact on us. We are still at war in Afghanistan. We are fighting. We are taking casualties, as we did last week, in the war in Afghanistan, and we are assisting allies on the ground in Iraq in their fight against the Islamic State. We have Iranian proxies fighting against U.S., either uh, proxies or allies across the Middle East. We've got all kinds of problems going on over there. And the Obama administration seems to think at the very top of the list of things that they're worried about when it comes to jihadism is let's not talk about it in a way that offends people. Now, you can say that, as they do, Saying radical Islam doesn't make a difference, although you'll notice during the campaign, Hillary Clinton actually did say it a couple of times because she knew the American people aren't, as a whole, in the majority, with the Obama view of how you discuss terrorism. They're not okay with redacting 
ISIS and in the name of Islam and in the name of the Islamic State from the Orlando uh, mass murdering terrorists transcripts, the 911, the 911 transcripts that were initially redacted by the FBI, by the DOJ, because um, they're not okay with that. They disagree with the administration on that. There's this wide open space now where we can look at the way that the administration in the past has spoken about these issues. And they also say that it is a war of ideas, but they won't discuss the ideas openly. They won't even name the ideas. You can't do it. And anybody anywhere in the country who's paying attention and being honest knows that. That the dictates of, once again, political correctness have overridden the need to speak openly and honestly about the nature of this threat. Apart from whatever concern somebody might have, for example, about Mike Flynn's bureaucratic abilities, capabilities, or lack thereof, he does seem to have a very clear sense of the threat of jihadism, and is certainly willing to speak about it. And I feel like Trump, if nothing else, believes that having a clear vision when you're trying to understand how to approach that enemy, that's step one. That's the first place you need to be. But that there's a clash of civilizations and that this is part of the collective freakout that the Democrats, the left, the media are having about this incoming Trump administration just goes to show you that, no, we've been in this clash. We've used that terminology for decades. We've been in that clash as America, by the way, from the very beginning. Go back and read about the Barbary Pirates, if you like, and the first real war we had on foreign shores uh, to the shores of Tripoli. Uh, This has been going on for quite a long time, and the election of any one candidate isn't somehow setting it off or creating this dynamic. This dynamic has been in place that the Obama administration thought that it was a strategic asset to deny a clash of civilizations is very discouraging uh, and wrong that they think that it's a deep and biting criticism of the Trump administration to point out that a clash of civilizations, not just Islam and the West, but many others, exists and is likely to be exacerbated, to get worse in the years ahead. That's just a recognition of reality. may not make people feel all warm and fuzzy, but it is true. It is there. Going to a break. We'll be right back. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn, finishing up the show today, but I'll be back with you tomorrow, 9 to 12 Eastern, so please do uh, tune in once again. We'll have a lot to talk about. We have some fantastic guests. I don't even want to tell you who they are because they're so awesome. You might not be able to sleep tonight. You'll be so excited. That's probably overselling it, but it's going to be a good show. Let's take Harvey in Illinois. Harvey, you're on the Glenn Beck Program. You're speaking to Buck. Hey, I miss your da- your daily TV show, by the way. That was a pretty in- integral part of my life. <laughs> oh, thank you. Me too. <laughs> uh, listen, you. you know, Trump has every opportunity to galvanize at, at least the conservatives 
along with a lot a lot of disenfranchised Democrats. Uh, just by just by his nominations, you could see. Uh, and I'm, I was a never Trumper, and still kind of am. I but he has a way, he has a path to win us all over, and, and I think that's you, you know reaching out, not necessarily across uh, party lines, but across principle lines, like from progressivism to ultra conservatism, even uh, libertarianism. Uh, reaching out to somebody like. Dr. Paul, Andrew Napolitano for, you know, specific nom- nominations. It, picking those kind of people Look, would restore some faith in at least the Republican Party and quite possibly soak in some of those disenfranchised Democrats. No question, and I completely agree with you that, and I feel like everybody should at least recognize this. I think this is a statement of fact more than opinion. Trump has an enormous opportunity. Uh, to do tremendous, to do tremendous good, not just for the Republican Party, but for the country. He has a tremendous. He is in the best position of any Republican since Reagan. I mean, he's it's he's got an enormous opportunity. So I'm that's why I'm trying to be hopeful about it, and we'll see. We Could have you imagine to- a, a cabinet with position with with people with differing opinions, like um, just just for sake of argument, like a. Doctor or like Ron Paul for as a Secretary of State or Andrew Napolitano on the Supreme Court, somebody who wouldn't argue from the bench but would actually compare the standard to compare it to the standard that is the Constitution. I hear you, Harvey. Thanks for calling in. Uh, that's going to be it for today's show. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. I'm back tomorrow, nine to twelve Eastern, across the country. Very excited to be doing so. You can learn more about me at theblaze.com/slash/buck-sexton. And uh, download my daily podcast there, which is every day, 12 to 3, three hours. Uh, Until tomorrow, everybody, this is Buck Saxon from Dallas. Over and out. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.